Romans chapter 1, we are uh, to verse 14. I think this is our third uh, sermon in this uh, series of the book of Romans, and we're to chapter 14, really on the same subject. Uh, to some degree, we've had, uh, had one subject of the gospel for these three messages. So Romans 1, and then verse 14 through 17. Romans 1, verses 14 through 17. I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. Father, we thank you for this this anchor passage in the book of Romans. Thank you for the gospel. Father, I pray that we would feel the debt that we owe to our neighbors, to our family, to the lost world. I pray, Father, that you would create in us an eagerness, a posture of readiness. I pray, Father, that you would keep us from being ashamed of the best story that's ever been told. Father, I pray that you would send the gospel out through this church. I pray that it would be on our lips. I pray that we would preach it to one another. Father, I pray for Grupaka. I pray for his daughter, for his wife. God, I pray that you'd spare her life, that you'd give her health, that they might be a beautiful gospel-centered, gospel-preaching family in rural India. Father, we ask for your blessing upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. What I would like to do is um, work through this passage on the gospel, and I'd like to work through it um, basically with three major phrases, okay? So in verse 14, I want us to think about what Paul means by the word obligation. In verse 15, I want us to think through what Paul means by the word eager or willing or ready, however your translation is. And then in verse 16, I want us to deal with the phrase, not ashamed, okay? So obligation, verse 14, eager, verse 15, not ashamed, verse 16. So that's going to be the progression of our text this morning. So we're going to begin with Paul saying, I'm, not, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also here in Rome. So what does Paul mean by obligation? Well, one of the things that immediately came to my mind is that we don't like that word. Like, like, you know, you like certain words and you don't like other words, right? I mean, there's certain words that are kind of nice. You like to hear them. Uh, they're favorable in your mind. There are other words that we just don't care a lot for. And one of the words that we don't care a lot for is obligation, right? Because the word obligation means I am tied to something, right? It means that I'm, I'm on the hook. It means that I, I, I'm, there's, I'm required to do something. One of the things that I have noticed just generationally is that probably my generation and down especially does not like the word obligation. We tend not to be joiners, especially even the generation below me, not to be joiners. The generations above me, uh, for instance, the, 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 the 1940s generation, that's a joiner generation. Those people... Uh, were joiners. They they readily signed up for stuff and put themselves on the hook. Okay, uh, our generation we tend to be very creative 
in not pinning ourselves down. Have you noticed, have you talked to people, like, have you ever done this? You're like, hey, we got this going on, you know, such, such a date, you know, would you think about coming and helping? Whether or not they're going to come or help or not, most people today will not give you a firm yes, right? They won't give you a yes, I will be there, I'll be in charge of that, I'll take care of it, you can count on me. You're not going to get a whole lot of that, right? Now, some people are are prone that way, and we're thankful for those folks, but a lot of folks will will give you kind of a, you know what, you know, that sounds good, I'll think about it, probably can make it. I got to check my calendar. You know what I got to check my calendar means? It means I know that I don't have anything on that date, but I want to make sure and leave it open in case something else comes up because I don't want to pin myself down, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the way of our culture that, that, that we are, are, are not eager to do that. It's one of the reasons that church membership is way down, you know, church membership, because one of the things church membership means is you're on the hook, right? You're, you're, you're not, it's not the only reason that it's down, but it's one of the reasons that people are less likely to join a church today than they were maybe 50 years ago. It's simply because of that whole realm of obligation. Now, factoring that in, notice that Paul puts himself on the hook for the world, okay? I mean, not, not, he doesn't just say, you know what, it's my job, it's my obligation, it's my responsibility, I'm on the hook for my neighborhood, for my family, for my friends. He doesn't just say that. He says, I am a debtor. Okay? Some of your Bibles say debtor, don't they? I'm a debtor. I owe this. I got to pay to the world. Okay, Greeks, barbarians, later in verse 16, Jew, Greek, and Jew, Gentile, everybody. Paul is saying, I'm under obligation to the world to bring them the gospel. Now, why would Paul feel that indebtedness? Why would he feel that constraint, that, that compelling thing inside of him that says, you, 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 you got to go, you got to share, you got to give this message to the world? Why would he feel that way? Why, why would he say, you know what, I'll do my part, but you know, other people need to do their part. You, know, you guys do your part in Rome, I'll do my part here. Why would he say, man, I'm on the hook for the world? I think the, at the root of that is the high, the high uh, level that Paul sees what he's been given. You remember up in, in verse 5 where Paul says, through whom, through the gospel, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. One of the ways that Paul describes what he's been given, the benefits that he has in the gospel, is by the word grace, okay? And what grace implies is, I didn't deserve it, I didn't earn it, I was given it by God's favor, by God's riches, Okay? And so the way Paul sees his life is he was helpless and hopeless without any way to help himself, and he comes into grace. He comes into God showering upon him what he does not deserve. And because of that, he feels he has a debt to everybody else who is in the same need. It's kind of equivalent to if you're walking out in the desert and you've got no water and you've been walking for days and you're about to die and someone comes along and says, hey, dude, two sand dunes over to the left here. There's an oasis with, with all the water you could ever drink. By the way, there's an ice chest with ice there too, okay? And this, you know, you go over there, you are saved, you are rescued, you load up all your, your, your bottles and, 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 and you're, you're going to be okay. And then you take off for your journey and you get about a mile away and you run upon somebody else who's in the same predicament you were, just as bad. How do you feel to walk right by? Just walk by. Hey, Sandy, isn't it? You know, just go by. Okay, now as you pass by, unless you're some kind of monster, you feel bad, right? What is that feeling bad inside of you? You know what that is? Obligation, right? Now you say, well, why am I obligated? He could find it on his own. I don't have to tell him. He's a big boy. 
You know why? Because someone told you, right? You didn't earn it. You didn't figure it out. You got it by grace. And because you got it by grace, you're, you're a debtor to give it by grace. Now, in those illustrations, the greater the need, the greater the obligation, right? Like if, if you woke up this morning, had your three cups of coffee, went to Pollyanna, got breakfast, had a big orange juice there, swung by Sonic on the way to church and got your 98-gallon, you know, big cup, big gulp, okay, and you're sitting there with that thing, I, I, I'll be honest, I feel no obligation to share my water with you. You know, I mean, I don't. Like, you got your own. Like, don't drink off mine. That's gross, you know. I, I, I mean, you, why? You don't have a need. If you do have a need, it's to go to the bathroom. It's not for more drink, right? You don't have a need, okay? But if somebody is dying of thirst and I have water, the need goes up, right? I mean, it's the same reason why if you pass by somebody on the highway and, and they look perfectly healthy and, and it's a nice day and their car's broke down, you might just buzz by them. You know, if, if you drive by and there's a family of five all in the ditch, mangled and bleeding, and you still pass by, you got problems, right? What's the difference between those? Need, need. Okay, so what, 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 is, what, is, Paul, what is Paul pointing out here? Paul's pointing out that the need for the gospel among those who are lost is the greatest need in all the world. Without the gospel, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter your status, it doesn't matter your wealth, it doesn't matter your position, it doesn't matter what you have or what you are, you will perish under the wrath of God in eternal torment forever and ever. And the only answer, the only answer is the gospel. The need is great. Now let me tell you where the wheels fall off of this, okay? The wheels fall off of this when we begin to, whether or not we would voice it or not, when we begin to think of our salvation in terms of, I deserve it, I got it on my own, I found it because I'm smart. Now, I know that none of you would stand up here and testify and you come up and give your testimony and say, I don't think any, I hope nobody would do this. I don't think you'd get up here and say, well, I got saved and I got saved because I am super smart and I'm a lot wiser than other people. And so I found salvation on my own and got it. I am awesome. Okay. I hope that you would not say that. I don't think you would. But I do think that there are times when we look at a lost world and instead of feeling a debt to them to bring them the gospel, you know what we feel? We feel anger. We feel disgust. We feel you're stupid. True or false? How many times have you been watching the news? On the news comes on a worldview that is very different than yours. And instead of feeling the compulsion, they need the gospel, you say to yourself, how dumb is that? Right? Um, I, I'll be honest. And, and, and it may be dumb. I'm not saying that's not true. I read a quote by a lady from Planned Parenthood this week. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it really is. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm blown away that somebody would not have the logic to see the inconsistency in that argument. Okay? But, but here's the reality. I still should have a posture toward that lady of gospel. You know the difference between me and her? Gospel. That's it. And you know how I got the gospel? Grace. Jesus. Correct? Okay, and so when Paul looks at his world, even though he lives in a wicked world, even though Rome is a cesspool, even though the government is corrupt, even though there's, there's, there's social problems plaguing the Roman Empire, even though all those things are true, Paul looks at his world and says, I'm a debtor. 
to the God. I'm a debtor to the world. I'm, I, I have an obligation to the world to bring them the gospel. Now, lest you stop there, I, here's what I don't want. I don't want you leaving here today and say, man, pastor, you know, put this you know, hard sell on us about being obligated, and so now I got to go out and share with somebody. I hate that, you know? Man, I hope that that's not where you end. You know, I mean, and, I, and I've kind of been there before in my early, you know, being saved, feeling like I need to do that, but didn't know how and, and just going and doing it poorly. And I, you know, I, I, hope, I hope that you're not there. I hope you don't miss the next verse, verse 15. Okay, so Paul says, I am under an obligation. I do have a debt here. But verse 15 says, I'm eager. Okay, now eager, if obligation is a bad word, eager is a good word, right? We like the word eager. What does eager mean? That's that's like, you can't wait to get in this thing, right? You're willing, you're ready, you're postured for readiness. It's like, on your mark, you know, and you're down like this. You're not off, you know, scratching your head over here. You, your eager means, I'm ready, I'm posturing myself to do this thing. I, I, I'm willing, I'm, I'm getting in a position where I can share the gospel. That's what Paul says in verse 15. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Man, Paul is in a ready position. He doesn't just feel an obligation. He's excited, he's eager, he's willing, he's ready to preach the gospel. What does that look like for us to be eager for the gospel? What does that look like? Eager for the gospel. What it looks like, first of all, you need to articulate the gospel. You need to know the gospel. I think we've talked a lot about this lately. It's kind of on my heart for us as a church. One of the things that's on my heart is that everybody who's baptized at Lincoln Avenue, we, uh, Pastor Gary baptized a young lady um, uh, uh, over at Fifth Street here just a little bit ago. Everybody that goes through our programs, everybody that goes through our discipleship training, everybody that goes through our small groups, man, my heart is that everybody would know and be, be able to articulate the gospel, okay? Just, just the, the simple gospel, knowing the truth that man is a sinner, he's broken, he can't save himself, God has loved us and sent Jesus to step into our world, to live the perfect life that we could not live as a man, and then to die a death in our place for our sins, God putting his wrath upon Jesus on our, because of us, because of our sins, and then Jesus rising from the dead and offering eternal life. That wasn't me. Offering eternal life to all who would repent of their sin and put their faith in him. Okay? Now, now you ought to be able to articulate the gospel. You say, well, pastor, I can't do it like you just did it. That doesn't... That doesn't articulate. You ought to be able to in some way clearly tell people, how do I get right with God? Okay, now that ought to progress. You ought to get better at it. Okay, if, 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 if you had asked me, pastor, can you show me what half dome looks like in Yosemite Valley? Pen, paper, watch this. Okay, Got some mountains, okay, kind of a long valley with the waterfall like that, okay, and then you have this sharp cliff, big rock face, and this kind of dome on one side, it's half a dome, okay, and then like that, okay, so there you go, mountains, valley, you see that, sharp cliff, half a dome, okay, right? Now, for real, if you had no idea what Half Dome was, this would help a lot, would it not? Would it not? This would help. This would, this would show you there's some mountains, there's a valley, there's this literally Half Dome look. Jacob just went there. Jacob, is that, that's kind of what Half Dome looks like, right? Now, could I do it better? 
probably with some practice, right? If Addie would give me some art lessons, which if I were going to draw, if, if the, only, the only way people were going to know what Half Dome looked like is for me to draw it, you know what I would be doing this afternoon? Art lessons with Addie, right? She would sit down, she would say, Dad... That's, that's okay, you got the gist of it, but you know what, here's a way to shade that some more, you know, you ought to add some trees, you know, add some texture, here's a way to, you know, do the mountains a little better, and you know what, I think I would get a little better, and a little better, and hopefully as, as I did that my whole life, and as I went back to Half Dome and looked at the valley and took pictures and tried to sketch it there and practice and practice and practice, I'm convinced that I would get better and better at showing people what half dome is. Now, am I ever going to be able to draw it like Addie? Probably not. Am I ever going to be able to draw it like Chris Castor? Probably not. But I can get better at showing people what half dome looks like. So you're here this morning. And you have been given grace. And that makes you a debtor to the world with the gospel. And you ought to be eager to proclaim it. Okay, now, can you proclaim it like Paul? Can you write Romans? No, probably not. I can't write Romans, you know. Will will I ever be able to proclaim it as good as Paul, as good as Matt Chandler, as good as John Piper? Probably not. You probably won't either. But that's okay. That's okay. I want to start where I am. I want to be able to articulate the gospel. And then the rest of my life, I want to work to add shades of beauty and to bring in the Old Testament and and Abraham and Isaac and and, and wherever people are at in their life. I want to bring in atonement and redemption and adoption and justification. And I want to be able to articulate those things. I want to get better and better at sharing the gospel. I think that's part of what it means to be ready. To be ready. Paul's like, man, I'm I'm doing what what I need to do to be ready to share this great message. So number one, do you feel obligated? Number two, are you eager? And some of that eagerness is going to be, man, have I, have I taken, the, taken the time to get to where I can articulate the gospel? You say, man, pastor, where do I get art lessons? You know, I don't know where you get art lessons. You can ask Addie, but I know where you get gospel lessons. You get it from your small group leader, your Sunday school teacher, your, your Christian friend, your pastor, you know, come to McDonald's on a morning, you know, early in the morning. You'll find us there, lots of us, okay? Sit down with somebody and, and, and talk, ask, hey, how do I get better at articulating the gospel? That's a big deal. We are under a debt to do this. Now, under debt, but we're eager. Now the, now, the biggest factor, I believe, based on where the text goes, on whether or not I will share the gospel is this next phrase. Verse 16, ready? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why does Paul say that? Sometimes you have to ask yourself that question. Why, why does he say, why does he say I'm not ashamed? Why, I mean, why, why bring it up, Paul? Why, you know, when you've, when you've been talking about your eagerness to share, your obligation to share, you can't wait to get to Rome and share, you can't wait to get to Rome and see these people and talk about spiritual things. So why in the world would you all of a sudden bring up, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? And the reason that Paul does that is because if you're serious about living out the gospel, and if you're serious about sharing the gospel, there will be some shame projected your way. Okay? Everybody okay with that? Are, 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 you, are you willing to embrace that? Because if you're not willing to embrace that, you're never going to be eager to share the gospel. Okay, You have to embrace the fact that I'm telling you right now that Paul is pointing out that there's going to be some shame involved in proclaiming the gospel. Now, why is that? Well, shame 
is a sense that you've lost status, that people think less of you because of some deficiency or something, okay? It could be a lot of things. It could be your behavior, right? If I'm at the church picnic today and uh, milling around, talking to people, and uh, I come over to Raymond, and uh, Raymond and I are visiting, we get into a discussion about where to buy the best hardware parts, you know, and uh, that kind of gets a little bad, and he says something that I feel insults me, and then I say something insults him, and we get into a screaming match, and it's, there's cursing, and we get into a fist fight, and, and the police come and taser us and haul us away. At some point later on, when we cool down, Raymond and I are going to be ashamed, right? Man, we acted really dumb at the church picnic. That was really stupid. So sometimes we feel shame because of our behavior, right? Our behavior, we realize, man, I, I, I did that in front of everybody. Everybody saw that. Sometimes it's our performance. It wasn't a sin necessarily. It was just we didn't perform well. Have you ever, you ever seen the games where the, 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 the wide receiver catches the ball, he's running out, the safety hits him, a linebacker hits him, he gets spun around, somehow he lands on his feet and he keeps running. Woohoo! He's running the wrong direction, though. He doesn't realize it, you know? He sees that end zone. He's running as hard as he can. He has the elation of crossing that line. And all of a sudden, he realizes, he looks around. Everybody wasn't yelling, go, go. They were yelling, no, no, you know? <laughs> and, he, and, he, and all of a sudden, he feels what? What does he feel? Shame, right? I just did something dumb. I, just, I didn't mean to. But I did. I messed it all up. Okay, so sometimes we feel shame, but because of our performance or because of our behavior, maybe because just our status, like we don't fit in. Like if you ever hear any, like people are talking, you know, this happens to me all the time. People are talking, and you walk up and kind of try to join the conversation, and it just goes dead. You know, it's crickets after that, and you're like, ah, I shouldn't have done it. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, all right. I mean, just sometimes those things projected real, not real. Those are the reasons we feel shame. So why would Paul have brought up the issue of shame when he's talking about going to Rome to share the gospel? You know why? Because for Romans, okay, just picture this. Paul's walking into the Roman Empire capital, the most powerful city in the world, and he's proclaiming that the king is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, he's saying, well, he's a Jew. The Romans were not impressed with Jews. Jews were second-class citizens. Jews were weirdos. Jews were kind of the, the spur, spawn of the empire, okay? Not only is he a Jew, he's a Jewish carpenter. He's not like a prince or a ruler or a military leader. He's a manual labor guy. Not only is he a Jew who's a Jewish carpenter, but he died a criminal's death. No Roman could even be crucified. If you were just a Roman citizen, no matter what you did, you wouldn't be crucified because it's too shameful of a death. So he dies the death of, of, of those who, who are the dregs of society. And Paul's walking into Rome saying, i got to tell you about the king of kings. He's a Jewish carpenter who was crucified by you guys. What's going to happen? What's going to happen in Rome? You know what's going to happen. There are going to be people who are going to say, Paul, you're an idiot. Paul, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Paul, that's silly. That's not worth listening to. Here's something you've got to embrace. If you're ever, ever going to carry out the mission of God, this is a hurdle you're going to have to get over, okay? Are you ready for it? To live for Jesus. I'm not talking about going to church. We happen to live in a part of the world. You, you and I are so blessed. We live in a part of the world where there is less shame heaped on us for being a Christian than probably anywhere else in the world. Isn't that awesome? 
If you were living in Indonesia or, 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 or Thailand or Africa or India or Saudi Arabia or the Middle East or pretty much anywhere else in the world, it, there would be more shame directed your way for being a Christian than where you are right now in Northwest Oklahoma. What a blessing. But here's the reality. If you do more than just go to church, okay, if you're actually living out your faith, what that means is you are, you are saying with your life and with your mouth, Jesus is better than anything. Jesus is the thing to live for. Jesus is what matters. If you're saying that, there, you're going to go down in esteem in the view of other people. In other words, your cool factor is going to go down. I don't just say that for the kids. I say that for adults. Adults are just as concerned about being cool as kids are. They just say it in different ways, okay? Your cool factor, your acceptance with certain members of society is going to go down. And so when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, why does he say that? Because he knows. He knows that there's going to be shame that is directed his way. But here's what Paul also knows. Paul is completely convinced that the gain from the gospel is immeasurably beyond any kind of shame that would be directed his way. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Okay, that's, that's a great phrase. Paul says, everything I used to put my trust in, everything that I used to consider as, as important, as made, that made me important, that's all loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as trash, as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having a righteousness, we'll talk about this in a minute, not of my own, but the righteousness that comes from faith. Okay, the righteousness of God. Paul is saying the gain from the gospel is far beyond any loss suffered in the eyes of other people. Folks, there is no better news than the gospel. The struggle is that the lost world does not see it as good news. You see, here's, here's going to be your struggle, okay? You, you're going to go to some folks. Some folks just reject the gospel completely. Others humor you a little, and, and they'll, they'll be fine with you as long as you don't push it too far, okay? But as, as you push and as you drive, that the only thing that matters is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only thing of importance is, is, is what Christ has done on the cross, that that is the central thing of all humanity. It's the answer for all of our problems. As you press that home to people, it's not going to be good news to some folks. Why? Well, first of all, you're telling people that they're broken in their sins. You're telling them that they've messed up their life. You're telling them that, that they're a rebel, that they're a sinner, that they've transgressed God's commands, that God is not happy with them, that they're offensive to God. My friends, that's not a message that is good news to most people. I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to hear that I was a good person. I tried her. Sure, I had faults, but I did my best. I was a good person. God was pleased with me because he was comparing me to my friends, and I was better than them. That's what I wanted to hear when I was young. But the gospel says, no, you're broken. You're busted. You're prideful. And not only are you broken, but you can't help yourself. Now, that's not a message we want to hear either, is it? You can't do anything to fix it. You can't get it right. You need a Savior. You need someone to come in and rescue you. Man, that's hard on people's pride. And as he comes in to rescue you, realize you're not the hero of your story. Man, that's a, that's a death blow to a lot of people to know I'm not the hero of my story, you know? I'm not in control. I'm not awesome. No, it's Jesus, okay? All of those things make the gospel hard to hear. And Paul knows that. But what Paul also knows is that the gospel 
is the only means of salvation. Paul knows that there's going to come a day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he knows from the example of Jesus how to handle when shame is heaped upon you. Did you know that shame was heaped upon Jesus? Read through the Gospels and see what people said about him. Okay? Do you remember some of the things people said about him? They said, hey, you're, you're, from, a, you're from an illegitimate family. Your mom got pregnant before your mom and dad got married. You know, and they heaped that on him. Okay, what else they heap on him? You're crazy. How many times did they tell him, you're delusional? The things you're saying, you're, you're, you're mad. Or, that, or you're demon-possessed. Remember when they told him he had a demon? Remember from on the cross, they told him he was weak. Remember when they said, hey, why don't you come down? If all those things you said are true, then come down off that cross. I mean, every insult imaginable was heaped on Jesus. And at the end of his life, he dies as a criminal. Everybody thinking, you're the worst of the worst. You're a criminal. So what what Jesus do with that shame? Hebrews 12. Here's our example. Are you ready? Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of, God, of the throne of God. Two things there. For the joy set before him, he despised the shame. Again, what does that mean? He said no to the shame, and he kept his focus on the joy that was set before him. Okay? So everybody's telling him, you're a criminal, you're a nobody, you're crazy, you're, you're a weirdo, you're a psycho, you're demon-possessed. And Jesus says no to all of that and yes to the joy set before him. To what's coming in the cross. To what he knows is true in God the Father. You see, sometimes you have to be willing to despise the shame. Just know it's coming and just say no. When him and I were having our fourth and fifth kid, even members of our family would make comments basically saying, have you guys not got this yet? <laughs> Have you guys not figured this out? Have you guys, do you not realize the economic realities of what you're doing? But honestly, and I think I speak for him, did not bother us in the least. Okay? We, we, had, we had a shame protector. You know why? Because we believed we're, we were right. We, we believed that, that kids are valuable. They're a good investment, no matter how much it costs. No matter what stinkers they are. We, we believe, man, this is what God... I mean, we just had a conviction. And so we despise the shame. Friday, we were riding bikes. Uh, Hannah and Haddon have been training with me. We've been going out riding. And we were coming back from a 15-mile ride. And we're coming down 34th Street. And we, we cost some old boy. He had to, because of the traffic, he had to wait about 10 seconds before he got to his red light. Okay, And, and because of that, he was angry with us. And so he shouted things out the window. I'm not even sure what he shouted, but, you know, it was, you know, idiot, you know, get out, get out the road, you know, those, those types of things, you know, to me and my kids as he drove by. I, I just, again, I'll be honest, not, for not even a second did I think, I'm never going to ride my bike again. People think I'm dumb, you know. I, I just, not even a second, not even a second. I, I think he's wrong. I mean, I, I, like, I just think he doesn't get it. I don't think he was in any hurry. I think, 
You know, to have kept him from 10 more seconds at the red light was not a great, you know, sin against anybody. I, I, I just, everything about that, I don't receive. It says, Jesus despised the shame for the joy set before him. And I think Paul's doing the same thing here. I think, I think he's saying, man, I'm obligated to preach the gospel. Can't wait to preach the gospel. And then implied, I know there's going to be shame heaped on me, but I'm not ashamed. That's what he's saying. Before it even comes, he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? He goes on to, to, to tell us here in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul's saying, there is no greater infinite power in all the world than the gospel. There is nothing in the world that accomplishes more than the gospel. Who's, a, who's ashamed of power? Right? Two guys in the weight room. One of them leans down and deadlifts a thousand pounds. You know, ah, he does that. You know, slams down the weight. You know? The other guy has just the bar, 45 pounds. He leans over, gets about six inches off, blows his hamstring and his back out, you know, carries himself to the, to the shower room to get close. Who's ashamed? Who's ashamed? Not the guy that lifted the weight, right? If you're the guy in the truck during the snowstorm that pulls everybody else out, are you ashamed? No, man. Those other guys are ashamed. You're proud, right? Power is never a shaming thing when when it's accomplished for salvation, for rescue. And Paul says the power of God to salvation. Salvation, the bringing about of rescue. Folks, to be without the gospel... It doesn't matter if everybody, if you're the most beautiful person in the world and, and everybody thinks you're awesome and you're incredibly successful and you're athletic and you're, you're, you're whatever. You got it all. The truth of the scriptures is you are in a horrible spot. The wrath of God is coming upon you. You will perish in your sins. And only the power of God can help you. It is it is. Nothing else can wipe away your record of wrong against God. Nothing. Nothing else can give you perfect righteousness. Nothing can put that in you but the gospel. Nothing can change your heart. Nothing can raise your dead corpse out of the grave and transform you into a glorious eternal body fit for immortality in the new heavens and new earth. There is nothing that has the umph to do that but the gospel. Everything else falls short. The best works of men, the wisdom of men, the service of religion. Nothing can do those things but the gospel. There's not popularity or success in business, not not wins on the field, not natural beauty, not likes on your Facebook page. Nothing, nothing, nothing but the gospel has the power to make you right. And Paul says, I believe that. And therefore, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Quickly, Paul says in verse 16, the gospel is the power of salvation. Everyone who believes, okay, I'm just going to pause on that point because we're going to hit this hard in chapter 4, okay? But, but we are joined to Jesus in the gospel by faith, okay? If you didn't know that, you need to know that. The only way for you to be connected to this power is by faith, is by trusting, believing, following Jesus, Now, in the gospel, look at verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Now, I want to pause here because this is such a beautiful demonstration of of how the gospel 
is the best story in all the world. It is the best, it's the best news. Okay? When, when I read books about Islam, I, I, I just finished that uh, not too long ago, that Seeking All of Finding Jesus, all about Islam. Okay? I mean, I, I'm so sad for Muslims, honestly, because, because your story is so deficient when put aside the gospel. All right, and, and, and so in, the, in, this, in this verse here, verse 17, okay, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. Now, this very verse has made some people tremble because they don't understand it. Because when you think of righteousness, what do you think of? God is righteous and you are not, right? God is perfect and you are not. God is holy and you are not. And, and so immediately we think, man, that's not good news. I, I mean, I'm in trouble. Okay, but see, in the gospel... God's righteousness is revealed, and how's he going to get you sinners to heaven? How's he going to get you into the new heavens and the new earth and still be righteous and still be just? You know how he's going to do it? He's going to punish Jesus. Jesus is going to live the life that you couldn't live, so he's perfect and righteous, and then he's going to take your guilt upon himself and own it. It'll be on him, and he will pay for it. And God will pour out the wrath of, 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 against sin upon Jesus so that it's paid for. Can anybody, can anybody ever say God is unjust? God is not a good judge. God lets sin go. Nobody can ever say that. You know why? You point to hell. God has is, God is judged sin. You point to Jesus. For those who are in heaven, God has judged sin. He has poured out his wrath. His justice is taken care of. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed in that God is just. Okay, We're going to hit a great verse here in Romans 3. Romans 3.26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, So, so we're bonding to, to be right with God and accepted into, into fellowship with God. God is just in that he has taken Bonnie's sins and put them on Jesus and poured out his wrath. God is a just judge in that Bonnie's sins are taken care of on the cross. And then at the same time, God turns around and he justifies Bonnie by taking Jesus' righteousness and putting it in her. That's another great thing we're going to look at here coming up. Chapter 4. Are you ready? Um, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Verse 5 of chapter 4. And to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. His faith is counted as righteousness. In other words, you believe, you trust, you embrace Jesus, and that's counted. It's reckoned. It's imputed. It's put into your account. Righteousness. That's the beauty of the gospel. You tell me a better story than that. How else, is it, how else are you going to get saved? Well, you go to other religions. What do they say? Work hard, dude. You know, work real hard, okay? You got to pray hard. You got to do some good things. Here's a list. Here's a list of 25 good things. Go out and try to do those. See if you can do them perfectly. See if you can do them with that without any fault. Go, go, go give it a shot. And then come in here. Do lots of up and down praying. Lots of exercising. Lots of giving. Go do, go do stuff. See if you can make it. Man, this other deal is a lot better. Mainly because that one deal doesn't work. I've been trying. You've been trying? Have you, have you done it perfectly? No. 
The gospel is glorious. Jesus is glorious. Who else would do that, by the way? You know, here's the reality. You and I, we would struggle. We would struggle to take the blame for spilled milk on the counter when we didn't do it. Honestly, wouldn't we? Right? You come in from eating your, your, your cereal, there's spilled milk on the counter. Mom says, be more, be more careful. Don't be so sloppy. And you know you didn't do it. It's a hard pill just to take that. Most of us won't. We'll argue to our death that we did not spill the milk. Because I'm not taking blame for something I didn't do. It's incredibly difficult for us to, to swallow someone else getting the credit for something we did. I'm telling you, there's people at their jobs that are absolutely miserable because somebody else at work got some of the credit that they felt like they deserved. I mean, it eats them up to the point of, of like depression. Who is this Jesus? who readily scoops up all your filth and is punished for it. And then turns around and gives you all His righteousness that He alone earned. You tell me you don't want to know this guy? Is that that a story to be ashamed of? That that's my life. That that's, look, look at the rest of this. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. In other words, the rest of it, the righteous live by faith. I live by faith in the gospel. Live, like not just got saved, but I live today and tomorrow and the next. In, in other words, here, here's what we're going to see as we go through Romans. This gospel is life. It's life. It's everyday life. It's how you maneuver through relationships and struggles and trials and and, and guilt and shame and blame and all of that. You come back to the gospel, embracing it by faith. That's why we do communion continually. It's this continual reminder of the broken body and the shed blood of Christ on our behalf, giving us righteousness. It's where our identity is. Our identity is not in how we look or how we perform or what we do or how much money we have or the success or the power. That's not the way Christians live. We live by the gospel. That is who we are. Now, let's review. So, do you feel obligated? You should. If you're a Christian, you should feel you're a debtor. Number two, are you eager? Are you eager? Are you, are you ready, postured? God, give me an opportunity. God, I'm, I'm, I'm poised to speak truth. I'm poised to share truth. I can't wait. And then maybe the biggest thing, are you, are you ashamed? What do you do with the shame that will come for being bold that Jesus is your king. What will you do with that? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel.
Father, help us. God, I just pray, Father, that you would bring about in us, Father, our feelings of, of obligation. Lord, we, uh, we're on the hook for India. Father, we, we readily accept that it's not somebody else's deal, it's our deal. Father, we're on the hook for our neighborhood. We're on the hook for Woodward, for our family, our friends. God, it's, we've been given grace, and God, we, we don't want to walk by those who are perishing when we have the gospel. Father, we're eager. God, help us to sharpen our skills. Help us to sharpen our readiness. Father, we're not ashamed. Father, when shame comes upon us, Father, we're not ashamed of you. Father, I think of that verse in Mark 8, that if, if we're ashamed of you, that when you come in the glory of your Father with the holy angels, that you'll be ashamed of us. And God, we, God, I can't stand that thought. So Lord, help us to be bold about what the best thing is. It's you. You're the best thing. In Jesus' name.